Hi everyone, it's Louis from the Broken Brain team. We have a special interview for you today with Dr. Sandra Dalton-Smith, an author, speaker, and board-certified internal medicine physician. In this episode, Drew and Dr. Sandra talk about the seven types of rest and why a deficiency in any one of these seven areas can have unfavorable effects on your health, happiness, relationships, creativity, and productivity. They discuss why so many people struggle with fatigue and insomnia and the importance of giving yourself permission to embrace rest. They also talk about setting boundaries and how to increase your overall happiness to live your best life. So stay tuned. Welcome to the Broken Brain Podcast. I'm your host, Drew Perot, executive producer of the Broken Brain docuseries. This podcast is dedicated to continuing the conversations that Dr. Hyman and I started during the Broken Brain series. Each week, we'll invite a new guest who we think will help you improve your brain health, feel better, and live your best life. Today's guest is Dr. Sandra Dalton-Smith. Dr. Sandra is an author, speaker, and board-certified physician. She received her Bachelor of Science in Biochemistry at the University of Georgia and graduated with honors from Harry Medical College in Nashville. Dr. Sandra has been an adjunct faculty member at Baker College in Davenport University in Michigan and taught courses on health, nutrition, and disease progression. She's the author of the newly released Sacred Rest, Recover Your Life, Renew Your Energy, Restore Your Sanity, which we all need. We all need some sanity restoring, <laughs> which includes groundbreaking insights on the seven types of rest needed to optimize your productivity, increase your overall happiness, and live your best life, which is the mission of this podcast. Dr. Sandra is a national and international media resource on the mind, body, and spirit connection and has been featured in incredible media and magazines, including Women's Day, Red Book, and First Women Magazine. And she shared her tips on merging faith and medicine with over 16,000 healthcare professionals, encouraging the current and next generation of doctors to treat the whole person. Dr. Sandra, welcome to the Broken Brain Podcast. Hi, Drew. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. So, Dr. Sandra, you were passionate about rest and the impacts of it, and we're going to dive into all of that into here, but I always love to start off with the personal connection. I find that the physicians and practitioners who are in this space helping us evolve medicine often had a personal uh, healing journey that connects them to their work. So what happened in your own life that prompted you to write a book on rest and why it's so important? I think that's so true. For me personally, I burned out. And I, I burned out at the point in my career when on the outside, everyone else would have told me that I was succeeding on all fronts. And what ended up happening was I got to that place where I had all of the things that I had been striving and working for. All of my goals had been checked off and I felt miserable. I had no energy physically. My body hurt. I was um, getting sick often and having a lot of uh, just basic illnesses. I started having problems concentrating and problem solving and really got to the point where I felt like I couldn't help my patients because I felt so depleted and so drained. And tell me about life growing up. How, how was life growing up for you? Was it, were your parents into uh, wellness, uh, into healthy eating? You know, give me your life and background uh, growing up that you had that contrast to know enough that this isn't how things should be. 
Well, my parents, really growing up, my situation is very interesting because my mother actually died in, right after childbirth. So my father was in the military. So my, my background was not one really that was focused around rest. It was, I grew up with a mindset of always wanting to accomplish and really wanting to kind of put my mark in the world. And I think that it was that driven personality that really kind of pushed me to see work as being more important than rest. It seemed to be where I should be putting my attention. But when I got to that point where I burned out, I had to start looking at what was going on. How was I going to improve my situation without having that family background? And that's when I started really started digging into the different aspects of what is rest and what does it mean and how can I how can I get back to a place of wholeness when I honestly felt like my medical training and medical school didn't prepare me for that. Um, and I see it with a lot of my colleagues. I was seeing it in other people where I would go into the doctor's lounge and they looked as, as exhausted <laughs> as I was feeling. Um, so I, I knew that there was something missing and it was something that wasn't being taught really within the medical schools or even within just the, the atmosphere that I had found myself. So rest seems like such a simple process. So why do you think it is that so many people struggle with fatigue and insomnia in today's age? I think because we have made rest synonymous with laziness. And so we don't really, uh, we don't use it the way that we should. We've kind of uh, simplified it to the point that it is no longer effective. What a lot of times when people tell me that they are going to rest, if I ask my patients, what are you going to do this weekend? And they say rest. They mean they're just going to kind of lay around on the sofa, maybe click on Netflix or something of that nature. What I'm finding is really for, for rest to be beneficial, it has to restore something that is being depleted. And that is the key. Most of the time when we say we're going to rest, we are not intentionally thinking about how that activity is going to pour something back in, how it's going to restore or revive that a particular area. And when that happens, you may be getting some form of rest, but if you haven't really identified which area needs to be restored, you could be restoring the wrong area. So for instance, you may be trying to get more sleep when really you need restoration in a mental capacity or a sensory or social capacity. You know, you mentioned your background growing up uh, with your father in the military and being a physician and an overachiever. It's almost like uh, not only do we not give enough time for rest, but often it's celebrated to put rest aside in our culture. Did you grow up with any of that? Absolutely. I was a, uh, I was a typical type A Enneagram three. <laughs> um, I'm one of those people who I like to get things done. I love to have things checked off accomplishments, awards, achievements. So, and, and that was celebrated within my upbringing. So I was one of those kids who I was all for spending hours upon hours to make sure that I got the top grades in the class, that I exceeded and excelled. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. But there has to be a work-rest ratio that is conducive to our best life. And when we don't understand that, we, we get out of balance. 
because we start putting more effort into the work and we see the, the rest is useless when really the rest is how we end up becoming more innovative, more creative, more productive. We limit those things when we avoid the rest. You know, you hinted earlier about this distinction between maybe somebody doesn't need sleep uh, in one example, uh, but they actually need more rest. So can you talk a little bit about this distinction between sleep and rest? You know, sometimes people go, uh, people wake up even after sleeping like eight hours and they feel totally exhausted. So how does that relate to the difference between sleep and rest? Because sleep really is a biological function and rest reaches into a much deeper aspect of us. It reaches into what I consider seven key areas of our lives. And so when we're looking at sleep, sleep is just really one type of physical rest. With physical rest, we have both the active and the passive. And so sleeping and napping, those are the passive parts of physical rest. So absolutely they're needed. But what I've found is most people have a difficulty getting into those deeper levels of stage three and four non-REM sleep because their body has never entered a rested state. We They go to bed from having worked their full days and they think that they can just kind of flip their mind, body and spirit off with a switch like we do our light and enter into these deeper, more, more restorative types of sleep. And what happens is that doesn't that doesn't occur. So they tend to stay in these lighter phases of stage one and two non-REM sleep where they're not getting the full restorative benefits of sleep. Rest goes into for physical rest. The type that I'm referring to is more of an active physical rest. It's where we're relaxing the muscles and we are relieving tension. And it goes into the mental and the spiritual, all these different aspects. There's actually seven that I end up discussing within sacred rest. Let's break down those seven. So take us through them and, um, and, and help us understand the distinction between them. Absolutely. Well, we talked about physical a moment ago, and that, like I said, is divided up into passive and active. And in sacred rest, it's the active part of physical rest that so often we don't participate in. Being mindful of how our bodies feel before we get into the bed. Often someone will tell me that they lay down and all of a sudden they can tell that their shoulders are, are tense or that their neck's hurting or they're having TMJ pain. All of these things were there before they got in the bed. They're just not allowing themselves to analyze how their body's feeling until they lay down. But we need to be, make that a part of just a restful lifestyle, that when you're sitting at your desk, let's say at your office, and all of a sudden you feel tension in your neck, don't ignore it and try to push through because that's, that is going to start affecting every other area of your, of your workday. You're not going to be able to think as clearly. You're not going to feel as energized if you're having this chronic pain. The second type of rest is mental rest, and that has to do with our ability to really quiet that cerebral background noise, that chatter that goes on in our head so that we can actually focus and concentrate better. The third is spiritual, and that's our experience with God and just with reclining in the knowledge of the holy and being able to understand that, that life is bigger than just us. The fourth is emotional, and that has to do with the freedom to just authentically express our feelings without the people-pleasing behaviors that a lot of times we pull into our day-to-day -day relationships. The fifth is social rest, and that has to do with having the wisdom to recognize those relationships which revive us and being able to distinctly look at them separate from those that that 
that draw from us. There are always people in our lives that we have to give into our kids, our spouses, those kind of relationships. But there should also be those people who revive us. And we have to make those relationships as important as the ones that that require something from us. The sixth is sensory rest. And that entails downgrading just the endless onslaught of sensory input we get from our devices and our technology, our computers, as well as just background noises that are at work, fragrances that we may encounter in our day. And the last, number seven, is creative rest. And that's one that a lot of people are not familiar with. And it's the experience of allowing beauty to inspire us and to liberate awe and wonder. And uh, sometimes when I'm talking to uh, doctors or scientists or people who are who are, are very technical and, and, and really looking at the mechanics of things, they say, well, I'm not creative. Well, this is not about work. It's not about creating something. It's about letting creativity and, th- and the creative beauty do something inside of you to restore something inside of you. All great examples. And thank you so much for that breakdown. I'd love to understand, you know, take me back to when you had your burnout and you started to get clear that putting time into uh, sacred rest was something that was so needed in your life. You know, there are people that are listening to this podcast who do truly feel burnt out. What's the first step? Do you prioritize those seven different categories differently. What would you recommend to somebody who's listening, who totally feels burnt out? How do they begin the process of stepping into the sacred rest? I I break that down really into uh, what I call the rest method, R-E-S-T, the rest method. And it's the steps that I take someone through and the steps that I really went through myself with R standing for recognizing your rest, risk, and understanding what what predispositions you to be in a state of burnout, what your lifestyle looks like that creates that atmosphere where you can get burned out in these different areas. E, evaluating your current position. And so being able to see if you are at a point where you need to go into a deeper level of rest in that area. And that's really where I I developed the rest quiz. Uh, It's a free self-assessment that I use with my patients at restquiz.com where they can take the assessment and actually see which of the seven types of rest they are most deficient in. Because once they evaluate where they're currently at, which type of rest they need most, they can then focus in on that type. The S stands for the science and the research, and it really has to do with just under an understanding of it, being able to put the pieces together, pulling in the, the research that's been done and seeing how it applies to rest. It's kind of the proof of why we need it. And then T is, is today's application. I give specific applications, things that they can do, usually about three to four within each type of rest, because we all will experience rest different based on our personalities, our own likes and dislikes. But just to give some ideas on how to begin to restore that particular type of rest they may be missing. Let's talk about the science, because I think that, I mean, most people, it's it's kind of like if you walk up to somebody on the street and say, hey, is eating healthy a good idea? And most people say, yeah, yeah, eating healthy is a good idea. And then, of course, there's the practicality of it and the definition of what that means for each individual personally. Going up to people on the street, you ask them, hey, is it, good, is it a good idea to get rest? They say yes. But I often find that 
most people are not aware of the science and the research out there of just how damaging not having deep rest or sacred rest can be to them. So are there any, uh, is there any science or any publications or studies that you've come across that can help our listeners understand just how important rest truly is when it comes to our overall health? Well, it depends on the type of rest we're talking about, because for actually each of the different types of rest, each of the seven, I go through some of the specific science and research that relates to it. For example, if we're looking at the physical, just the, the recent research about over a third of our population is sleep deprived. And, and we all understand how sleep deprivation kind of affects our lives from memory uh, and concentration problems to labile emotions, anger, rage, and you know, issues with decision making, uh, slower reflex times, all of those things that go into that. But what we sometimes don't look at is that that sleep deprivation isn't being corrected just by telling people they need more sleep. Because we can't force our bodies to to go into those deeper levels. We have to be able to understand how to get our bodies to that point where they where they are able to relax and get into those deeper areas of sleep. Uh, other another study that I, that I found really interesting was when discussing about just the emotional aspects of how rest affects us, our ability to, to detox from toxic people. And some of the research that, was, um, that I discussed in the book regarding being in an atmosphere where you have people who are, are angry or overstressed and the effects, the mirror effect it has on our lives, how we tend to emulate or have uh, mirror reactions to those people who are, we are, are in greatest contact with. And so, so, the, so if the people around you are in a sort of a toxic or heavy emotional space, you're saying that you can end up taking that on. Yes. And, and one thing I think that's very interesting with that is a lot of times people will, will think, well, those are just my coworkers, or that's just my boss. It, you know, I, it doesn't really matter, you know, that, that they are toxic or angry. And then they don't understand when they go home while they're yelling at their kids or they're, they're in arguments with their wives. We have to be able to detox and see how important it is. Just a, a quick example. I had one gentleman who had mentioned that he couldn't understand why he was always so angry when he got home. He's like, I love my wife. I love my kids. But I walk in the door and I just start lashing out at them. And when I started asking questions, he basically was in a very toxic work environment. And so his work situation wasn't going to change quickly. But what he could do is on the commute home is do what needed to be done to detoxify his emotions so that he didn't bring that toxicity into his household. Any other tips, you know, you're in a hospital environment and talking about work, I think a lot of people find themselves in a place where at work, they deal with um, a lot of pressures, the hospital environment, of course, there's a lot of practitioners that are listening here that work in a clinic and a hospital, it's high pressure, there's always different things that are going on there. And then of course, the people who are hurting and are really coming to uh, these practitioners looking for, for guidance and often coming with all their stress and different emotions, it's, it can be... You can often feel overworked. It's difficult to find the time to take breaks and rest to give your physical body a rest. And then there's the how do you transition from there? So in your experience, what, what are some things that you've done being in a hospital, being in a clinic to uh, counteract some of that momentum of a high pressure environment? 
What I do personally is I, I practice what I call a lifestyle of rest. I never have huge blocks of time where I'm sitting, staring at a blade of grass, contemplating the world. That's just not my life. I don't have those types of blocks of time to break away. So for me, what I do is just I'm going to go through each one kind of just quickly for the physical aspect. I practice what's called body fluidity. In other words, I never allow my body to stay in a, in a strained position for a long period of time. For example, if I'm doing charts at the hospital or uh, or even at my office working on the computer doing um, electronic medical records. I don't stay there for three hours just tapping away at the computer. I make a point of after 60 minutes at the most, I will stand up, stretch, analyze real quickly. What's hurting? Okay, my, my left shoulder's hurting. Um, I teach us a real quick self-massage that requires your two fingers and a little bit of shoulder rotation just to, to get that muscle loosened up. But to do things in the moment that takes just a few moments to help the body kind of get back to a state of re relaxation mentally. If I'm having a, a thought that's constantly going around my head because I need to remember that, uh, for instance, don't forget to write such and such prescription for this patient. Instead of just letting that keep going around, I keep post-it notes at the desk. What I find is if you if there's something that is just overwhelming your, your mental space, having the freedom to write it down takes it out of you and puts it so that you can remember it. Um, and so just being able to write down just a quick note, just something that you know what it, what it means so that you don't forget. Um, from the emotional aspect of it, I spend a lot of time with people who are needing things from me. Um, practitioners are usually with patients and they're all needing something from you. So I make a point of using my letting my electronics work for me. If I have to have my cell phone and these things because I'm on call or I'm needing to be able to be reached, we can use them to work for us. And in emotional rest, we need to be able to be around people who we can express ourselves with. You can't always express yourself um, authentically with your patients because they're wanting the, per the professional side of you, not necessarily the friend side. So to be able to have just a quick connection with someone at lunch, a five minute uh, Skype call on the phone where you're looking at each other face to face, that's part of the uh, combination of not only the emotional, but the social aspect of it, because you're getting that body language to feedback. You're feeling that connection of being able to look at someone in the eye face to face and have an authentic conversation with sensory rest. For me, sometimes what I do is just something very basic. I get a lot of problems with eye strain. So I back away from my desk and I just turn away to the wall and I close my eyes for a few minutes just to get that little moment of sensory uh, deprivation to allow your and if you even do that right now, you can see how quickly just closing your eyes and putting yourself kind of in that momentary dark darkness causes the body to have a calming effect. Uh, and as far as creative rest, that's a very easy one for anyone who has any type of um, personal space for, um, at your job. Maybe it's even like a cubicle or if you have an office to be able to put something up that is beautiful and inspirational to you. It doesn't have to mean anything to anyone else. I've had people use paintings that their kids drew for them, cards that they may have gave them for Mother's or Father's Day, or it could be something incredibly beautiful, like a, a very expensive work of art, but it's something that is meaningful to you because the beauty says something to you. Is part of this also on the social side, you know, so much of, of a stepping into these different seven categories of rest is also, uh, it is part of it, 
setting up stronger boundaries with the people around you so that they know that rest is a priority in your life? Absolutely. And uh, boundaries is actually the very first gift of rest that I talk about in the book, because rest, when we actually start doing more of these activities, they create some gifts and boundaries is one of them because it forces us to let people know how far they can go with us and that we are serious about our own self-care and our own self-help, our own well-being, um, that we're not going to let people take us beyond our, our, our healthy point where we get to burn out. Yeah, it's almost like when you make rest a priority in your own life and you let other people know it, you're also giving them permission to make it a priority in their life too. Yeah. Um, I want to talk about brain function and rest. So how does lack of rest negatively impact brain function? You know, in the Broken Brain docuseries, we had uh, people talk a lot about sleep. But of course, here you are outlining all the other categories of rest that go so much uh, deeper. So can you talk a little about brain function and lack of rest? Absolutely. Because when we get to that point, and when you're looking at the different aspects of rest, one of the benefits of someone who is living a well-rested life is that they tend to be more creative. They have a, a more ability to problem solve and to be able to concentrate and to, to effectively do their job. And so the lack of that does affect the brain. For example, if someone has difficulty um, having uh, concentrating, or difficulty with memory. That's or as oftentimes people will tell me, I feel like I'm in a fog. I have brain fog. I can't I can't wrap my thoughts around everything. That's an effect of a lack of rest. The mind, when we have a lack of mental rest and you're constantly having just kind of this overwhelm of mental chatter that's going on, it's incredibly difficult to focus and difficult to concentrate. And that comes from, from the hippocampus being impaired. And so you're not fully being able to make those new memories and to retain that new information. So for jobs where someone is, is required to keep a lot of things within their, their mind, physicians and people who have all these different areas are having to remember, a lack of rest becomes detrimental to even patient care. Because if you can't recall what that drug is or what that disease is, how are you going to even diagnose it or treat? So there, so it definitely becomes a problem uh, as well as, you know, we were talking about earlier about just labile emotions, anger, you know, rage and anxiety. And all of that goes with when our emotions are overwhelmed and we're in need of emotional rest. And we end up getting that kind of overstimulation of our amygdalas because we are, are getting just too much input without having that time to unload and to be able to authentically express ourselves and to eliminate those people-pleasing type behaviors. And then there are a lot of new studies that are coming out now trying to kind of pull in the um, frontal and parietal lobe aspects of how rest and, and sleep affects really our decision-making and problem-solving. But I think any of us who's ever, you know, had one of those days where you mentioned earlier, you wake up in the morning and you're just like, oh, you know, it's another Monday. And you wake up and you feel like you you just need to kind of go back to the weekend. I, I really believe that that lack of ability to problem solve and to come up with the new innovative thoughts stems back to the inability to rest well. Yeah, so you hinted at some of the gifts of rest and we talked about boundaries. What are some of the other gifts of rest that you talk about inside your book? 
Uh, one is the gift of reflection. One thing about rest is it requires us to, to look at what is working and is not working in our lives. And I think oftentimes we avoid that because sometimes it's scary to take a look at that to see what is and isn't working because we know it's going to require some kind of change. But I think that's important because otherwise you get caught in these cycles of ineffective work and that ultimately will become become a strain. It'll become depressing if you start feeling like your work is not having benefit and it's not accomplishing what you desire. Another is the gift of permission. So often we think that we need, and you mentioned this, we need to kind of get permission to rest. Um, but people aren't going to give you permission to rest. You, you really have to, to take it because most of the people that we interact with are wanting something from us. They need something from us. That's how our relationships are built. They're a give and take. And so when someone's coming to you, they look at rest as if it's going to take something away from them. And what they fail to understand is that the better you rest, the more rested you become, the more effective you become at resting well, the more creative you will be, the more beneficial you'll be to them. And what they're really wanting from you is your best. They don't want just the sloppy seconds of, of what you have to offer your gifts. They really want your best. And so when they see how being able to be fully rested and fully engaged and have excellent um, memory and concentration and all of these things working at their max, that they get the parts of you that they truly want. So a lot of people feel like rest is a luxury or that rest is for people who are less productive than they are. Or, or even there's all these beliefs, these limiting beliefs that people have about rest. What, what would you say to those individuals who feel like, you know, that rest is for people who are less productive than they are or for, for people who just can't cut it? Well, that's the thing. Rest is not a luxury. It's a necessity. And for, for people who start looking at it that way, that it's that it's kind of for, for the weak, those are the ones who usually end up burned out. And so what I typically say is keep doing what you're doing. And when you reach the stage of burnout, come see me, because that's what ultimately happens. They get to the point where they no longer enjoy the work they're doing. They no longer find uh, satisfaction and they, they find that they have to continue to, to push and to strive and they never get to that place of thriving because really rest is, is the key to more energy, to the greater productivity that they're looking for, the better creativity and all the things that they're working for. They can never reach them if they never get to a point of enjoying them. And that's what rest is. It's that time to be able to enjoy the things that you work for. When you do talk to practitioners and you're out there teaching, um, just curious on a personal level, do you ever get uh, pushback uh, from people? Like what are the most common pushbacks that you get from people who have this uh you know, first of all, I guess the question is, do you ever get pushback? And if you do, what are the common things that people bring up inside that pushback to stepping into this sacred rest? I do. Sometimes there, there are particularly people who, and I tend to get it from people who are, are very high achievers, who feel like if they take their hand kind of uh, off of their lives, that things are going to fall to pieces, <laughs> that they, they can't stop long enough to rest. And 
And for practitioners, particularly, one of the main pushbacks is that, well, I don't have time to rest. And that's when I usually talk with them about this not being this huge block of time that you're, you know, no one's asking you to take a two week vacation to go sit in the mountains and, and, you know, have a solitude retreat. It's about building in restful activities. It's intentionally inputting times of rest to restore whichever area that is being maximally depleted in your life. And it looks different based on what areas of your life you pour out more in. For example, if I'm working with um, a counselor who feels burned out, that person is not likely putting out a lot physically because their job is more sitting, talking to people, but they are putting a lot out in the mental, emotional, and social areas of their lives. So I have them look at how do you restore the mental, emotional, and social areas of your life. In contrast to someone who, let's say, is a construction worker who may be you know, extremely physically active, but not really pouring, putting a lot, a lot out in the emotional and social area. So they don't feel depleted in that area. So it, oftentimes with most of the pushback, it has to do with thinking that they're going to lose something in the rest, that they're that it's going to take something away. And when we get to that understanding that rest is not about de- detracting from their life, but actually putting something back in to restore whatever is missing, that's usually when they start getting a, a more clear understanding of how it applies to them. And how about parents? You know, we're going through these different categories. Uh, parents often find themselves new parents, uh, young kids, you find yourself in a situation where you might genuinely have uh, interruptions in your normal schedule uh, to, to, to take care of another human being beautifully in a way, but might disrupt your rest. Do you have tips and thoughts for your uh, patients who are parents? Yes, and I have an interesting story about that, actually, because um, I, I speak to a lot of uh, young moms who deal with this problem, difficulty finding time for themselves. And oftentimes for them, one of the biggest areas that they are deficient in is the social rest aspect. They, they are with their child, but they are not, they don't have time or they refuse to make time to be with some of their friends, to be with their girlfriends and to have time to, to hang out like they did before they had the baby. And so for many of them, just learning how to incorporate social rest in a way that doesn't take them um, away from their child for large blocks of time. For example, when the baby's sleeping, um, to be able to have a quick conversation with someone or to to do even do a, as we mentioned, like a Skype call where, where they can do a face-to-face and actually kind of get that camaraderie that comes with being in the presence of another person and and knowing that someone kind of gets where you're at and knows what's going on with you. Um, Another area that a lot of um, young families struggle with is that relationship part with their, with their spouse. And so sometimes having these moments where yes, the baby's asleep and yes, you probably need sleep, but just so that their relationship doesn't get pulled apart is that they're spending that time to reconnect at, at 
some of the times during the day when they're alone to uh, reconnect and to just help build up that the social aspect of that relationship because that's when the social rest becomes an issue when we don't feel like we connect to other people when we feel withdrawn as if we are alone in our struggles and as a new parent you can sometimes feel that way i often find that you know part of establishing a healthy uh wellness routine, whole body routine is finding the little canaries in the coal mine, the, the sort of early indication that something is off and, and strengthen the connection between how early you can catch yourself starting to feel off. So I'm curious for you, uh, Dr. Sandra, in your own life, what are some things now? Obviously, you're hyper aware, very aware. You write subjects, you lecture on these topics, you give interviews, but what are the indications from you in your own personal life that are little flags that like, if this happens, getting irritable, this, that, whatever it might be, that it's like, oh, maybe I need to step back into one of these categories of rest. Absolutely. Um, and that's that's been something I've had to be mindful of because in the past, what, six months now, since the book released, I am extremely busy compared to what I was before the book released. So I'm finding myself having to constantly be aware, and that's why I call it a lifestyle of rest, because you you have to have that R, the recognition of your risks, and then evaluate where you're at. And so some of the key things I've noticed is if I start getting overstressed, I tend to hold tension in my neck and um, jaw area. So if all of a sudden I'm having a lot of, of neck pain or jaw tension or TMJ pain, headaches, Those are all things that signal me that I'm in need of physical rest. If I lay down at night and I have the woulda, coulda, shoulda conversations where I'm going through, oh, I wish I'd said that different or I I wish I'd done that or don't forget this. And I'm just having kind of this running commentary going on in my mind. That's for me as a sign that I'm in need of mental rest. I'm needing to kind of clean out, tidy up my mental space so that it's not so chaotic. Uh, For spiritual rest, if I start feeling depressed or start having those symptoms that the work I do is not beneficial or that it's not effective or not helping people, then I'm looking more at me than at others. And I'm not looking at it in in a wider context. And so that's something that helps me know that I need to kind of reconnect spiritually, emotionally. If I start trying to go into kind of perform what I call performance mode where I am focusing more on performing than being authentic. That for me is a sign that I'm in need of emotional rest because I'm I'm pulling away from who I am and trying to be someone else, which is extremely uh, fatiguing. (laughs) And so that's always something that I try to be aware of. For social, if I start feeling like I'm the only one or if I start noticing that I'm mirroring the behaviors of the people that I'm around, then that's a sign that I'm needing to be around different people and kind of detoxify my uh, social environment. Sensory, if I notice that I'm getting more anxious, um, um, sounds are making me jump or um, I'm having difficulty with enjoying um, sensory rich experiences, then that's a sign that I'm in in need of sensory um, rest. And creative rest for me comes when I no longer see the beauty in simple things, Uh, enjoying a good meal, um, wanting to have intimacy with my spouse, uh, wanting to go for a walk and pay attention to 
nature and things around me, wanting to go to a concert and listen to beautiful music or a play or theater. So when I get to where I don't want to do those things anymore, then I know that I'm in need of creative rest because I need something to awaken that back in me again. It's so uh, so amazing. You know, we, we now know through the science of sociogenomics that, you know, stress and obesity, these are these are contagious diseases. We'll start to mirror the people that are around us. And in the Broken Brain docuseries, we talk a lot about community um, and the importance of surrounding yourself with people who have similar habits for you. Um, I know that you're involved in your, in your church. Uh, are there other things or things in addition to that that you recommend to people to start surrounding themselves with people who have similar priorities in finding intentional friendships and community? Absolutely. I think it is very important to be with people who get you, who understand your background, who have an idea. It's, it's great to diversify, but you need a balance with that. You, you need to have a ratio of both. There needs to be some people who are in your, in your immediate kind of toolbox that you can go to when you are having specific issues. Um, I love when we, when we get together in kind of what I call tribes. So let's say, for instance, um, a tribe of new moms, a tribe of professionals, um, a tribe of millennials. It's just when we're grouping together who people who understand kind of our immediate situations. And then within those groups, the group should be very diversified because how we approach it usually is completely different. And that helps us to be able to see that I may rest this way and you may rest that way, but together we can learn kind of the, the how each of our abilities to restore these areas kind of take bits and pieces from each other so that we individualize what we need to be able to be our best. Because that's the thing. I don't think there's kind of a, a one size fits all rest prescription out there. It is highly individualized based on our personalities, based on our lifestyles, based on our, our financial backgrounds. It looks very different for each of us, but there isn't one isn't better than the other. And I think it's helpful when you get into these groups and communities, you can see that how you do it is OK that it's okay as long as it is restoring what you need and keeping you at a place of being at peace and at rest within your body so that you can bring your best to the table because that's ultimately what we want for everyone. We want them to bring their best to the table and they can't do that if they're burned out, if they're fatigued and if they're not enjoying the process of the work that they do. Dr. Sandra, it seems like we are definitely in an epidemic of burnout when we look around, at least here in North America and for other parts of the world that adopt sort of our philosophy of go, 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 which is beautiful in so many ways, but is really having its its toll on a big picture level, 40,000 foot view. Do you see this changing? Do you see the conversation changing? Are you hopeful that uh, this sort of, uh, you know, few decades of burnout is going to shift in a different direction? I'm hopeful, but it's, it's going to be difficult. It's countercultural because we have, we have a generation that, that sees the accolades that come with kind of pushing yourself to the max. And they don't really look at 
how so many of these people that they they want to emulate, how much they actually honor and and put up the barriers and the boundaries for their own rest needs. When you look at some of the most successful people out there and you ask them about what they do different than everyone else, one of the key things that they talk about is how they prioritize their boundaries, their personal boundaries for self-care. And that isn't the part that makes the news. The part that makes the news are the, are the, all the accomplishments. So we highlight the work and we downplay the rest when really the work-rest ratio is what's making them powerful. Or I guess also on the flip side, you know, we don't really know truly how much some of these very successful individuals that we read about and see in the news, how much deeply they're hurting inside because they haven't prioritized those boundaries and that rest in their life. Um, And so we don't see the amount of pain that they're going through. And that's becoming more evident now. We've had a lot of really high profile suicides that's happened. And personally, when I'm asked about that, I I can totally understand because, you know, we started off just talking about my own personal story. As I mentioned, during the time when I burned out on the outside, everyone would have said that my life uh, looked extremely successful. I was all over the media Um, you know, book contracts, all these things that doctors aspire to. And on the outside, it looked very successful. On the inside, I can totally understand getting to that point where you don't see any purpose and you don't see why, how your life um, has any purpose. And And what I found was everyone that I was working with, my patients, everyone that I was working with, they were benefiting. They were enjoying the fruits of the work that I was doing. But the, what was the problem was, is that I had never stopped long enough to enjoy the fruit that I was producing for myself. And that gets to be a position of, of demise. Because when you are not the consumer of some of the good that you're producing, it, it can never be, it can never keep going. Because you don't want to keep going anymore. You don't have that benefit of enjoying your own life. And that's why the subtitle of the book is Recover Your Life. Because that's what I ended up having to do. To recover my life from the downward spiral that it was going in. And start appreciating that the the work that I'm doing. Yes, I want to benefit others in the world. But I've got to be a consumer of the good that I'm doing as well. And the truth is most of the people people around us, our loved ones, the people that that we're uh, connected to, um, they don't want us to burn out. And oftentimes they don't, they don't know how bad it is for us. So opening up, starting that conversation, having that conversation about rest, having those conversations about boundaries is so key because at the end of the day, they care about us. And it's usually us who uh, has all our, the stories in our head of all the demands of other people. I'm not saying those demands aren't real and there. It's just that the people around us who have demands also genuinely care about us too, and they do not want to see us suffer. They don't, and they don't usually know. They don't know because because most of the time, the people who burn out are the ones who have, who who understand how to push through. They understand how to play the role. They have, uh, and that's the opposite of emotional rest because you are performing. They know how to perform at their best. 
and how to give people what they want, but they are not taking the time to actually be authentic and expressing what's going on with them. And they don't know sometimes who they can be authentic with because they haven't, they haven't built up those relationships, um, those social connections to have those times of rest. And it starts slowly. It starts oftentimes with just finding that one person you connect with and that you feel like you can be just true and authentic with, whether that's a counselor or a trusted friend. But it starts slowly and then it, and reclaiming what you need to be able to, to give to others. Well, all beautiful things. And uh, Dr. Sandra, I want to acknowledge you for sharing your story because I think the thing is that when, um, when you share your story and people are listening, my hope is that listeners can see a little bit of them inside of you. And, and I, I know the message and the commitment with your work is that uh, hopefully, you know, we've all gone through different phases of burnout, but you know, you went through a pretty extreme phase of it with all the pressures that were there on you. And maybe somebody listening to this, maybe it's not that bad for them, or maybe it is, but they can learn from your experiences and say, okay, I don't have to, I, I can step in now and I can use these tools to begin to repair and give myself permission to rest. So I really want to acknowledge you for uh, making it personal and sharing that story out there um, with everyone. And um, uh, tell us a little bit more about your, you know, your, your, your writings, your other books that you have, where can people find sacred rest? And then also if you can go back and share a little bit more about your quiz again, I think a lot of people will be fascinated to go and take that quiz. Absolutely. My, my website is at ichoosemybestlife.com. And that's where they can learn more about me, as well as the writing and the speaking that I do. Um, one of my favorite things I'm doing right now is working with corporations to help them see how th their employee self-care affects their bottom lines. So that's where I'm spending a lot of my time now going into companies and helping them really create a culture of wellness within their their companies so that their employees don't burn out. And I'm finding it to be even more important in areas where there is required to have a lot of uh, kind of innovative thoughts and creative ideas, because these are the people that tend to burn out quickly and have a tendency to be really those self-driven, um, motivated, high achievers. My rest quiz is available at restquiz.com. Again, it's restquiz.com. Very simple. And it's free. And they can take the quiz and get their results back within a few minutes to see which of the seven types of rest that they're most deficient in, and then be able to kind of start the process of, of understanding where to focus their attention. Because most of us are not deficient in all seven. We usually are thriving in, a, in, a, in quite a few of them. And then there'll be at least two for most of us, sometimes even more, but at least two that are really having a negative effect on our lives. And when you can focus in on the two where you need to, to have the most restoration and start applying some of these techniques we've talked about, you can really see a change in just your overall happiness, satisfaction, and your ability to produce good work. Incredible. Uh, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast and sharing your stories and experiences and all the research that's out there and helping us as a society prioritize this topic of, of rest by understanding it and breaking it down and making it simple. Uh, Dr. Sandra, I super appreciate you. And um, we'll be linking to all the things you mentioned inside the show notes for everybody to find. And we hope that you come back one day again and share the latest research that you discover on this topic of rest. Thanks, Drew. It's been a pleasure. 
Hi, everyone. I hope you enjoyed the interview. Just a reminder, this podcast is for educational purposes only. This podcast is not, I repeat, it's not a substitute for professional care by a doctor or otherwise qualified medical professional. This podcast is provided on the understanding that it does not constitute medical or other professional advice or services. If you're looking for help in your journey, seek out a qualified medical practitioner. If you're looking for a functional medicine practitioner, you can visit ifm.org and search their find a provider database. It's important that you have somebody in your corner that's qualified, that's trained, that's a licensed healthcare practitioner helping you make changes, especially when it comes to your health.